Now we distinguished for you last Wednesday night the difference in the rapture, which is the appearing, and the second coming, which is when God, Jesus Christ, actually comes back to earth. Those two events are how many years apart? They're seven years apart. And where are we during that seven years? We are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I talked about that last week. I gave you 12 parallels between the Jewish wedding and the rapture of the church. And if anybody had any question at all about when the rapture was gonna take place, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, we proved to you emphatically beyond all doubt that the rapture, the catching away of the church could happen at any moment. There is not another Bible prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the great catching away of the church. So shall we meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord forever. And when he comes in the air, he stays in the air. And that signals the greatest horror that the world has ever experienced. And my Bible and yours tells us he has not appointed us unto wrath. Christians are like percolators, some of them like to tribulate. I can announce to you, first load, I'm out of here. And God is gonna give me some hang time because I wanna wave by to some folks. Just about 30 feet off the planet, I'm gonna be waving to the naysayers and all the haters, and I'm gonna let everybody know I'm blood-bought, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized, sanctified, and I will be ultimately sanctified, separated from anything this world could possibly attempt to hold me into. Look at somebody and say, first loader, we're out of here. Anyway, I'm gonna talk about the Antichrist the next two Wednesday nights. I will prove to you, prove to you that what is going on right now, culturally, racially, religiously, is all a setup for what's about to happen on this earth. So stop being divided from each other. You better lock arms with somebody. You better let everybody know I'm for you, not against you in any way. You better be a positive influence, not a negative influence, because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And he's not gonna see what church you go to. And he's not gonna see what color you are. He's gonna see if you're blood washed, amen. He's gonna see if you're Holy Ghost filled, amen. Now you guys, I told you in the buildings, you gotta clap. You can't just amen, cause I can't hear you. Shouting is the language of victory. Silence is the language of defeat. Clapping is, clapping is the language of authority. I don't dare you let every devil demon principality and power know they have no authority here. Woo! Good morning, Elder. Glad to see you're here. Hallelujah. Now I've got something for you today. I'm giving those of you watching online, we certainly don't want to forget you. We thank God for you. By the multiplied hundreds of thousands of you, we welcome you. Last Wednesday night, we had 87 nations joining us for Wednesday night service and more on Sunday morning. So we are so glad you're here, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to destroy some religious cows today. 
Thank you for your enthusiasm. Marie in the Bahamas, Manasseh in Jamaica, Florence in Nigeria. We're so glad you're joining us. Here's what I need you to do. Share, everybody shout, share. share. Pamela in Northern Ireland, Christian in Tanzania. Share, 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 share. It's the easiest way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ we've ever had. And today, I'm going to tell you something Jesus never said. I want you to turn to somebody close to you, and I want you to tell them, no, he never said that. No, he didn't say that. You think he said that, but today I'm going to show you that he did not say that. And when I show you what he did not say, and replace it with what he actually did say, your life's about to change forever. Anything I say you think you might almost agree with, type amen in the comments, and if you're in here, clap and throw your hands up in the air. Come on, get ready. The atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. The atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of your miracle. So here we go. If you've got a Bible, grab it. It'll scare the hell out of you. Some of you got more hell to scare out than others. Now don't type in there, I can't believe Pastor Parsley cursed. You, when movies were on, thank God they've been silent since March, but you're still paying for them online and watching people say everything in the world. I said the Bible will scare the hell out of you. Amen. I'll say it again too. Somebody type in there, say it again. I'm going to Romans chapter five. Patricia in Michigan, Jay in Georgia, Geneva in Houston, Daniel in Kentucky. You know why they call West Virginia almost heaven? Because it's next door to Kentucky. I'm going to Romans chapter five. My goodness, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country. It's good to see Felicia from Ohio. Glad to have you in Louise in New Jersey, Karen in Pennsylvania. All right, I gotta get to the word now. Are you ready? Are you ready? Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 11, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah, by whom we have now received, past tense, the atonement. I'm gonna continue today, scars and stripes forever. With this message, Jesus never said that. We're dealing with the seven statements of the Lord Jesus on the cruel, rugged, angry, biting beam called Calvary where he went for you and I so that we could be a redeemed, purchased back by the sacrificial price. We are not redeemed with silver and gold, corruptible things, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we redeemed, purchased back by paying the sacrificial price, we have also received the atonement. So separated, atonement, at one meant. We are one with Jesus. Now this will become very, very important in a few moments because Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. He said, Father, I pray that they will be in me and that I will be in them as you, Father, are in me and as I am in you. So say that with me, Jesus is in me. I am in him. He is in the Father. Therefore, I am in the Father. Never to be separated. 
Oh, I'm going somewhere. You better get ready. The Lord of glory still has in his glorified body those same scars and stripes. Now, in a previous message, I shared with you why he would carry those scars and stripes into his glorified body. What a body that was. I spent an entire message sharing with you what your glorified body is going to be like. Your Bible said that Jesus in his glorified body walked through walls, but it also said he ate real food. So it's not, it's not anything like you've ever imagined it to be. You are not going to be Casper the Friendly Ghost. You are not going to be dangling your feet in the river of life. You are going to rule over kingdoms, over nations, real kingdoms, real nations. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth and watch the lion lay down with the lamp. I wish I had half a church. Your Bible said Chanel will put a hand in an adder's nest and it will have no harm to her. But you'll be able to walk... You will not be bound by time and space. We have preached him too little. We know too little about his kingdom. We understand too little about the spirit realm. God is that spirit. That spirit, not a facsimile thereof, the exact same self-spirit, self-same spirit that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Prince of God, is now personally present on the inside of you. And you want to tell me you're afraid of COVID? You're afraid of a flu? I never heard of a heavenly flu, have you? Heard about Asian, heard about swine, heard about Hong Kong and COVID, but they're not mine. I never heard of a heavenly flu. I wish I had somebody to shout. Stripes, 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 scars upon his body stripes to prove that he on that rugged rail paid the awful and horrible price for your salvation spirit soul and body and all that pertains to life and godliness scars that prove that yet today he is still paying that price and paid it in full today we're going to reflect on some, uh, some, I can't get through all of them, of the seven final utterances of the Lamb of God as he was bolted to that terrible tree. There to receive those eternal scars, those eternal stripes. Of every, very few words spoken in an entire lifetime are of more longevity, more impact than the last words one will ever utter. This Jesus knew. He guarded his words. He spoke a mere seven times over a six hour period. Barely one statement per agonizing, torturous hour. When silver screen legend Joan Crawford breathed her final words, only her housekeeper was around to hear them. Crawford was in the terrible throes of a massive heart attack. Her Christian maid instantly began to pray for her out loud. Crawford, of course, heard that intercession and she turned and snapped and cursed that precious Christian woman and said, don't you dare ask God to help me. Those were the last words Joan Crawford ever spoke. But her words testified to us. They, they tell us that the passing of the godless is anything less than graceful. 
Not surprisingly, on the other hand, the saints of God tend to utter words that are a whole lot different. Queen Victoria, you remember her. She said of her husband, my husband won't die. For that, I would kill him. Prince Albert revealed how much more connected to eternity he was than to this world. So said the prince in his final words, I have had wealth, I have had rank, I have had power, but if these were all I had, how wretched I should be. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Oh, what of the final words of Jesus on that angry beam? Oh, those, those revealing words gasped from that angry cross. Those seven brief statements, one of them comprised of only two one-syllable words. Those words are so uniquely distinguished from all other words because simply of the context in which they were spoken. They are of incalculable value because of the price that was paid to articulate them. For any crucified man to speak anything at all would take unthinkable effort. Now these are the words that demand our closest examination, our closest attention. So let's climb that craggy slope of Golgotha one more time. For us to hear it all will require that we stand there for six full hours. I think sometime I will preach these messages over a six hour period and see if we're able to sit in our padded pews neath our crystal chandeliers in the comfort of air conditioning and a public address system. It was not so on that day. On that day, the stench of rancid flesh from over a hundred thousand sacrifices being made just over the hillside on Temple Mount where now stands the mosque of Omar, the place where Isaac was offered to God by Abraham, the place where at Passover, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lambs were sacrificed. And at that same time, just over the hill, down through the Kidron Valley, and up onto that little skull-shaped outcrop called Golgotha, Three criminals are being crucified. It's hot. People are sweating. There's an acid scent in the air. Everyone is nervous. Dogs are howling. Animals are squealing. Flies are biting. Insects are crawling. And for six long hours to hear every one of his words would require the absolute utmost of strength from anyone who truly loved him. God help us if a church service goes over an hour anymore. People are packing their, their lunch in their purse and heading out to the drive through Six hours they watched him suffer. Six hours, they watched him cry. They watched him wheeze. They heard the rattle of death in his lungs. And they watched and they listened from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. For the first half, they were surrounded by the light of the Judean sun. Then suddenly, the sun itself hid its face in sympathy over the agonizing cries of Jesus. We're left engulfed in the second half 
of those hours in absolute darkness, we'll finally hear him say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. During those six hours, only seven brief statements. A word for his persecutors. A word for a repentant thief. And then a word for his grief-shattered mother who watched him take his first breath and witnessed as he exhaled his last. Then in the midst of the darkness, only three more words, crying and thirsting and then dying and then a final prayer and the Prince of Heaven, the Word of God made flesh will fall silent. At long last, the Lamb of God led to the slaughter reaches Calvary. As the nails are driven deep into his flesh like fiery fangs, he speaks words, hear me, all ye who be offended. I'm looking around, everybody is offended. Everybody has to guard every word and every action lest multiplied millions seize upon them like ravening wolves after fresh blood. You offended me. The joy of the... Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. And then we throw around terms like racist, hateful, mean, angry, words of separation, words of I'm better than you. Words of you owe me something. Words of how dare you. Can I share the gospel with you? Well, I'm going to, whether you want me to or not. Like I've been paying the price here for 43 years. I, I guess I can say what I want to. What would Jesus do if he were offended? Oh, you mean if he was lied about? Oh, you mean if he was ridiculed and called a Jewish dog? Oh, you mean if they strap him to a flagging post and with a flagrum rip his flesh from his back until his organs are exposed and in Psalm 22 prophetically David said I look down and I see all of my bones so what did he do what was his response his response were the very first utterance words of forgiveness now, in his statement, you will not find a but anywhere. He did not say to you, evangelist sites, I forgive you when. I will forgive you if. He forgave before the offense was ever committed. So why don't you just forgive everybody that's gonna offend you tomorrow, cause sure enough somebody will, you'll see to it. Oh, I knew it, I, I just knew it. Words of forgiveness, that's what 
falls from his parched and blistered and beaten lips as blood begins to run freely down that naked side. Mercy drips from his lips. This is not what he simply said. This is who he supremely is. So my prayer is that we, by his power, begin to be that too. I know Christians don't like to hear it, but the church is the only answer. It's the only answer. Your political party can't do nothing or they'd already done it. They can't do anything. Why are you watching Washington, D.C.? God's word didn't say, look toward Washington. Your Bible said, lift up your eyes toward the hills from which cometh your help. Somebody give him praise and give him glory. This is why he came. He himself said as much to Nicodemus who came to him by night and said, good master, what must I do to receive eternal life in John 3, 17? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. And that is not our job either. Wife, it's not your job to condemn your husband. Believer, it's not your job to condemn your brother. To condemn means to pass sentence upon. He doesn't want us passing sentence on each other. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's our job. The apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of ours. I can't get nobody shouting with me today. Our great high priest even now is interceding. The soldiers hear it. The two thieves hear it. The anxious spectators, they can all hear it. But most importantly, his words fall upon our Father's ears. He hears them too. That first word, Father, forgive them. What if we took the next seven days and made that our constant and consistent prayer? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How I would pray that our current culture and climate of believers, even in Elkhart, Indiana, I would pray that believers of every stripe would determine to utter those same words to God and to everyone they come into contact with that we might all become just that forgiving toward every person who has offended us, whether in reality or imagined. That world out there will help you hate. It will never ever help you love. That phrase, like ripples, it extends out to the jeering crowds. A call for clemency expands to every son and every daughter of Adam in every age and in every place to you, to me whose transgressions alone became the consummate cause that bolted him to that tree. That's what you did. That's what I did. The ringing of that anvil hammer was heard being held in our hands. Because whoever we've done it to, 
we've done it to him. Your sins, mine. That's why he went. What happened to preaching that said, let he among you who is without sin cast the first stone? What if every single word and every single thought and every single action you have ever done was put upon this screen today for all to behold? Suddenly you would become a whole lot more humble. Suddenly you would put away the pointing of the finger. Suddenly you would pray, it's not the elder, it's not the deacon, it's not the preacher, oh God, it's me standing in the need of prayer. That poignant plea to his father was made as the first blood began to flow. Let me move on to that second word. I hurry. I wanted to get through four today, but you're preaching me. It's your fault, I blame you. Luke 23, four to three, Jesus said to him, truly, <laughs> today, you will be with me in paradise. The mid-morning sun still dares to gaze upon the horrifying scene. The bellowing insults toward him continue. They cascade from the constant stream of passers-by at the foot of that ugly hill. Above the mutilated Messiah's head, they have made a makeshift sign the king of the Jews. You understand that was a racial slur. You do understand Jesus was a brown man. He was a Jew. I'd love to have that beautiful olive complexion of his baked by the Palestinian sun into a bronze that only heaven could outshine. Oh, there's plenty of opportunity for the religious folks. They've all got to show up. You ever notice whenever there's a killing, all the preachers join in? God told <clears throat> Elijah, come on, get your bags packed. We're going to a preacher killing. 300 of Baal's prophets were murdered before his eyes. Authorities of religion, they joined in with their chirps of madness, hurling taunt after taunt at him like Luke 23, 35. He saved others. Let him save himself. <laughs> Forgive them. Where's that church? I want to be a part of that church. I do. I, I want to be a part of that. Eventually, all that clamor and abuse is joined from an unlikely quarter. It's as he leans over and his back with splinters of wood stretches out. It's, it's one of those criminals. <laughs> uh, it's the angry one. He hears him say, so you're the Messiah, King of the Jews. 
If you're such a big deal, why don't you save yourself and how about us too? Through it all, the Lamb of God remains completely silent. You know, sometimes you don't have to say anything back. (laughs) I felt the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we don't have to get the last word. You ever be around somebody that had to get the last word? My sister Debbie would die or get the last word. I know some of your children too. I watch them. You say, sit down and be quiet and don't make a sound. And you turn around and they go, sound. (laughs) We tried to teach Aston Blair not to say shut up. So she said, shugga. We said, what's shugga? She said, I made up my own word for shut up. I mean, some folk just got to say something. You know, you don't always have to retort. You don't always have to give in kind. You could actually walk away. Just walk away. Just say, God loves you and I do too. And walk away. Unexpectedly, then comes a rebuke from the other thief. And he's like, dude, why don't you hush? We are receiving what we should receive, but this man has done nothing. Do you know some people get hanged who didn't do anything? Just ask the cancel culture. Just ask the internet censors. Well, I saw it on the internet. It's got to be true. First of all, if you saw it on the internet, it's probably not true. And actually what was true got censored by five men who are controlling the minds of America. I don't care. I don't have to have a response. Somehow the demeanor of Jesus convinced this guy that he actually was who he said he was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was his grace that the man witnessed holding him together in such circumstances. Right there under the crushing weight of pain and the incessant barrage of abuse that he was receiving. Maybe it was his earlier prayer for mercy and forgiveness for those who were inflicting such agony upon him. With a sign nailed above his head, it was accurate enough. It simply said, thief, he knew he was. So he thought to himself, could it be that his sign is just that accurate? Could it be that he truly is the king of the Jews, the son of the living God? Let's see. Remember me when you come into your glory. It's kind of a simple prayer, isn't it? Remember me. But since he is the God of Ephesians 3.20, since he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, the loving, dying, sighing, crying Savior does not just answer that prayer. He further says, today you shall be with me when I come into my kingdom. Even here, our Savior cannot let the most pitiful prayer turn toward him fall to the ground. He will leave no prayer. Ah, I'm wanting to run up in here and y'all look so sedate. He will leave no prayer unanswered. He 
he'll not only answer it, he'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask. Let me go to that third statement. Hmm. What amazing words those are. Spoken from that man in that place. He was bolted there, a common, judged, convicted, sentenced to die thief. But when they took his body down from his cross, he was already in paradise. In these very first moments, the living Christ is already scooping up the downtrodden, the guilty, the guilty. And in his loving pierced hands, ushering them into his eternal kingdom. And he's not going to answer you. He's not going to pay your grocery bill. He's not going to see to it that you don't get evicted. He's not going to forgive you. Romans 10, 13 says it best. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He's only been on the cross three hours, and he's already ushering sinners into his kingdom. Death is not even finished. Third word, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. I'll give that one to you another day. Let me give you that fourth statement. You will remember it. Matthew 27, 4 to 6. My, my, my God, my God, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that. I told you I was going to bury some idols. The accumulation of sin and its guilt of multiplied billions is being poured out on the only begotten Son of God. He was not humanity deified. He was not deity humanized. He was all God and he was all man. If he was not, he failed in his mission. He cannot abide. He cannot walk in. He cannot participate in abomination he cannot live in the midst of sin so we preached a lot how Jesus was abandoned by his father 
This has always troubled me. Darkness, his pavilion round about him, dark waters, thick clouds. Psalm 18, 11, deep darkness begins to fall at noonday at Golgotha. Silence alone will now witness these proceedings. Darkness, silence. The soldiers all pulled their capes tight around their waists against the ill wind that now moans across the barren outcrop of Golgotha. Suddenly there's a shift. I like all the preachers that preach about a shift. There's a shift. Something has changed. The entire atmosphere has immediately and suddenly and swiftly shifted. Jesus struggles. He attempts to push himself up in order to fill his blood-soaked lungs with enough air to, your Bible says, whale. In the midst of that eerie and smothering silence, it echoes back and forth from the walls of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley below. An inference, an inference. Now pay very close attention for the next three minutes. An inference must certainly be drawn between your King James Version, which is still my favorite Bible. Your King James Version it's rendering of Matthew 27, 4 to 6. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1, which has the exact same statement. Psalm 22, without, without argument, is one of the most beautifully prophetic and poetic glimpses. David the sweet psalmist of Israel is able to climb up Golgotha and gaze through Jesus' eyes downward from the cross. I'm compassed about with ravening wolves. They gnaw upon my flesh. They gamble and part my garments. I look at my bones. They are all out of joint. But was Jesus quoting Matthew 22, verse 1, hanging on Calvary's tree. It would make sense to me for David to complain, albeit without cause. He'd been through a lot. It was David who first uttered those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They were in error as he spoke them as well. Now, we are to believe that our Father would let His Son come to this point and then leave Him. Jesus spoke neither Greek which was the first original translation of the Gospel of Matthew, nor did he speak the king's English. I know that shocked some of you. He spoke a street-level dialect of Aramaic. Had he spoken on the cross, a quote of Psalm 22, he would have spoken it in Hebrew. He would not have spoken it in Greek, but he didn't speak it in Hebrew, nor did he speak it in Greek, nor did he speak it in English. He spoke it in Aramaic. And believe it or not, there are a few times when translators zig when they should have zagged. <laughs> Look how concerning this becomes when you realize that all scripture must be interpreted in light of all other scripture. 
You can't just have one hanging out there on its own that seems to have total disconnection with the character of God, the nature of God, the word of God as it has been spoken to that point. What about this? When translated from the Aramaic into English, it takes on a completely different meaning than it does when it's translated into English from the Greek. The Greek, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That God would forsake, that he would abandon his son in the midst of such suffering and such sacrifice runs absolutely contrary to every other scripture we could consider. John 16, 32, Jesus said to his disciples right before he was crucified, behold, the hour comes, yes, is now that you disciples will be scattered every man to his own and will leave me alone. And yet... I am not alone because the Father is with me. Oh, somebody needs to take heart this morning. Somebody needs to square your shoulders and stick your chin out like a T-rail. Somebody needs to fill your own lungs with some hair and you need to declare what he actually said at that point and I'll give that to you in a moment. But sufficient enough right now at this point in my message to you today is to tell you he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, especially when you're hanging on your own cross. Ah! Well, I sinned, so he left me. No, he didn't. I've heard preachers say, well, you better not drive over 70 in a 70 mile an hour zone or God will jump out of your car. What does that say for Deborah George? What does that say for Deborah George down here in the largest sex trafficking ring in the state of Ohio, three miles from this church, when she and those Valor Christian college students walk in there with prostitutes in every direction, with drug, drug, uh, what do you call them to sell it? Dealers, yeah. <laughs> when I was like, I don't know. <laughs> drug dealers. Sinners of every kind, every stripe, the broken, the bruised, the hurting. When Deborah walks in there, she doesn't have any problem finding God. Can I tell you, the best singers are singing in the bar somewhere. The best organists are probably still on a piano stool playing uh, Funky Joe or somebody. To hell with this idea that God abandons us when we are at his our worst. My great God. How about this one? How about this one? Second Corinthians 5:19, to wit, that it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So if God was in Christ, but he left, and Christ is in you, maybe he'll leave you too. Hebrews 13, 5. Here God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus didn't weep and wail and mourn because of his sacrifice. Your Bible doesn't say he prayed till his sweat became great drops of blood to try to get out of it. He was praying and weeping. And in fact, your Bible said he was scared unto death, scared not of the cross, but that he would not get there. 
that he would die in that garden. God would forever be a liar. Sin would forever rule the crazed hearts of men forever. He had to get through Gethsemane. He had to get to that cross. Not one thing that happened during those tormenting hours came as a surprise to your Savior. It's made plain when you understand the words directly translated from the Aramaic into English. Eli, Eli, Lamana, Shabakthani. My God, my God, for this have you spared me. This is my destiny. For this cause I was born. I dare you to shout, I'm not forsaken. When I fail, I'm not forsaken. When I stumble, I'm not forsaken. When I get it wrong, I'm not forsaken. When I turn my back, I'm not forsaken. Get on your feet. Get on your feet. Get on your feet. Lift those hands and tell him I'm not forsaken. Ah. Little children, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if you do, you have an advocate, Christ the righteous, who will never leave you, never forsake. Ah. Just look at somebody and say, he never said that. Come on, type in there online, he never said that. He will never leave me, he will never forsake me. When I'm at my worst, he's at his best. Woo! Ah! <laughs> Ooh. Let me help some of you still struggling a little bit. The whole thing, the whole thing hinges on one Greek word on one Greek word. That word is used and translated in the New Testament two different ways when it comes into English. Number one, it is translated separated from. Why have you forsaken me? In the majority of cases, it is translated separated unto. In the Aramaic, for this purpose, I was born. You have spared me for this moment. You got me through Gethsemane. They tried to throw me over the brow of the hill, but I had a passing through anointing, and so do you. Shall I've got a passing through anointing. You're going to make it. You're going to overcome. COVID's not going to stop you. Economy's not going to stop you. Washington, D.C.'s not going to stop you. The mob's not going to stop you. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. 
no easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.